0: So let's uh, prepare our hearts as we hear God's word and we'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 to 19 and that's on page 1220. So that's 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 to 19. suffering for being a Christian. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come onto you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is a time for judgment to begin with with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of god and if it is hard for the neighbor righteous to be saved what will become of the ungodly and the sinner so then those who suffer according to god's will should commit themselves to their to their faithful creator and continue to do good it's the word of god, it's god.
1: a quick prayer. Father, we've um, sung Speak, O Lord, and we pray it now that as we've read uh, this part of your word, that the words on the page would connect with our lives, that they would make sense to us, that you would be speaking them into us and preparing us just like you did this church uh, long ago when Peter wrote, uh, to follow you in uh, a world where that's uh, sometimes hard. We pray that in Jesus' name amen so we've thought about it already in uh, the introduction in the prayers uh, that being a christian is sometimes really hard it's a bit like it's a bit like being in a sauna um, it's good but you know it can get a bit hot And uh, I don't know whether you uh, do that every week. Um, I used to when I was in the slightly more expensive gym. Uh, But um, uh, you need to be prepared, don't you? If you've never been in a sauna before, you need to be prepared for that wave of heat that's going to hit you as you open the door. Otherwise, you're going to go, well, I'm not going in there. You need to be prepared for the, you know, when someone pours some water on the coals and the whole place fills up with steam because otherwise you're going to be pretty alarmed by that and think, oh, well, get me out of here. And that's the key. You need to be prepared, know what's ahead before it happens. And that's what Peter's, well, he's expecting that these Christians he's writing to will already be aware that suffering is, is coming their way, and, and we need to be prepared for that too. The Christian life is difficult. Uh, think about every time we have a baptism service. We talk in that, little, in that service with... Um, we, we talk about fighting against sin, the world and the devil. It's a battle to follow Jesus in a world which at best ignores him and at worst despises him and mocks and discriminates against people who follow him. Now, our natural response, whenever we suffer, if you put your hand on something hot, you say, ouch, you want to get away from it? You don't want it to happen again. And it's the same for us as Christians. If we suffer for being Christians, it's easy to feel, oh gosh, I must be doing something wrong here. I need to change something, don't I? So this doesn't happen again. Does God really love me if I'm having to go through this? Is it worth being a Christian if I'm having to go through this? Those are the questions we'll ask naturally. And so we need to be prepared if we're not going to be alarmed, if we're not going to give up, As Peter explains, look look down to verse 12. He tells us there to expect suffering for being a Christian. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Nothing strange about it, says Peter. And he's very conscious, I'm sure, as he writes this, of what Jesus said. Just as Jesus was preparing to die... He prepared those first disciples for the opposition, for the persecution they would face. This is from John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. You see, Christians will be treated like Christ. That's what it's saying, isn't it? Honoured and loved by God, welcomed by some people. What good news you, have, you believe and you want to pass on. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. But despised and hated by others because of Jesus. Paul explains to Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a promise to stand on, isn't it? Expect suffering for being a Christian. That's what we're being taught. Now, clearly, that doesn't mean going looking for suffering. It doesn't mean we should approach the day thinking, gosh, I had really quite a nice day yesterday. Wow, I'm going to suffer today. There's plenty of suffering in the world without any need to look for it. What this is teaching, though, is if we live Jesus' way, if we live for Jesus, and particularly if we speak for Jesus in our culture, then we will stand out. Some people will welcome it, but some people will oppose it. Uh, For example, I heard of a Christian guy who was badgered by his colleagues, hounded by them, because he didn't fiddle his expenses. Why would that be such an issue? Well, you see, what what it meant was he put in honest figures of what he'd actually spent. His other colleagues put in a little bit extra and the boss noticed. And the boss's response was to um, accuse the uh, Christian of undermining team morale by uh, his behaviour. That's pretty difficult, isn't it, to negotiate that? It may be something like that. It may be something that no one else is aware of in the office. It's just the way you approach work, that you don't try to blow your own trumpet all the time and take credit for things that uh, actually you were part of a team and other people did it as well. But the other people around do try to blow their own trumpet and do try to take credit for anything to try and chase that promotion and they get it and you don't. That's quite hidden and unseen, isn't it? As you try and live for Jesus in a Jesus way in the modern world. Christ's standards will conflict with those of the world around us. And so as we live for Jesus and speak for Jesus, we can expect difficulty, we can expect opposition to come back at us. Not all the time. Notice in the beginning of verse 14 and verse 15, Peter uses the word, if if you are insulted, if you suffer. He's not being fatalistic, he's not saying this is every day. There's lots in chapters 2 and 3 about the positive impact that Christians make in the world around us and the positive impression we give to others that they too might glorify God. This is not going to happen to everyone all the time. But if it happens, if and when it happens at some point... We mustn't fall into the temptation of thinking, oh gosh, I'm doing something wrong. God's abandoned me. It's what we are to expect. Jesus says so. So the next thing that Peter says is a real surprise. I mean, I think it is, isn't it? Rejoice when we suffer for being a Christian. Verse 13, Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 14, If you were insulted because of the name of Christ... You are blessed, where blessed means you are to be congratulated. Good on you. We should rejoice when we suffer for being a Christian. Now, I'm assuming if you're with us this morning, you're not yet a Christian, you're looking into these things, you're thinking, that's really weird. I mean, lots of things about Christian faith are pretty weird, but that's especially weird. And it may be you're thinking, I am a Christian, and I still find that pretty weird. Uh, it's partly the culture we live in, isn't it? That uh, in our modern world, we have remarkable levels of comfort, don't we? You know, you, you went to that sofa shop, you bought the one that was the most comfortable for you, so you can sit there and watch the football or, or whatever else you watch. I mean, is there anything else at the moment? Um, sorry, that's a discussion for later. Um, and, uh, and you just want to be comfortable, don't you? You want to sit... Oh, it's great. Oh, it's so nice to take... Oh, oh yeah, come on. Um... The, just the convenience we have, the way we can, in London, you know, you can go out pretty much 24-7, can't you, and buy food. You know, uh, wow. I mean, some, uh, all kinds of places in the world today, you know, people are still struggling to have enough food and we've just got it in the shops around us. It's incredible, the comfort levels we have. And it's easy to end up assuming that the whole of life is about life being smooth and calm, and, and I shouldn't really have any problems with suffering nowadays. Pain and hardship, well, I avoid them wherever possible. And I reminded us last week that there are some people, though, who, who view it differently. And there may be some in the room. I don't know whether any of us are doing athletics at the moment. Uh, maybe the, some of the youngsters through next door if you're doing sport or athletics, you will just accept that suffering is normal. Suffering is part of what you've signed up for. As the coach will yell, no pain, no gain, as we used to yell at us when we were rowing, anyway. Um, It's just you will need to push yourself. You will need to go through the pain barrier. You will need to experience hardship and exhaustion and, and pain if you're going to develop and mature and be better and go on. And all of that is part of a bigger picture. The suffering, you can endure it because you know it's part of a bigger story. It has a purpose and it's not the end of you. Well, so it is. The same with suffering for being a Christian. The fact that you and I are part of a much bigger story. We've got an eternal destiny. We all have. Everyone has. And when we've tuned into that, it makes everything look different in this world. Our key, our key need is not comfort. Our key need is to get right with God. Because our sin and wrongdoing deserve his judgment, as it says, and we'll come to that And the wonderful news is that Jesus Christ has come and has made it possible for people to be right with God again, to be totally forgiven because Jesus has died and paid. And whenever someone puts their faith in Jesus, it's not just they, you know, join a religion. It's an unbreakable bond that is created between Jesus and the man, the woman who trusts in him. Uh, uh, Other parts of the Bible talk about the way that we're linked with him. It's he died and rose, so we will die and we will rise in him. That we are viewed by God in him. We're forgiven, we're accepted, we're righteous. In spite of what we're actually like, we're viewed, we're judged as righteous in Christ. It is so wonderful to look forward through the rest of our lives, beyond the rest of our lives, past death, to being with God face to face, in eternity, in heaven. It's wonderful as we look to the future. And it's wonderful to know him now. Verse 14 talks about the experience of being insulted for the name of the Christ. But the blessing is because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That's quite a way to think about my life and your life, if you're trusting Jesus The spirit of glory, the spirit of the God who created everything, rests on you. And all of that is why we rejoice when that link between us and Jesus means that people react badly. They see that you do insist on speaking about Jesus and following Jesus in what you do, and they, they push you and prod you and see how you're going to react, or they directly, they know how you're going to react, and they oppose you, or well, rejoice. You're blessed. It's a sign that that link between you and Jesus Christ is real. You are one of his people. You're going to be with him forever. It's going to be a, a moment of incredible joy, verse 13, in the future, and that future joy bleeds into the present as we anticipate it. That's hard, I realise, but actually it makes sense that if we suffer for being a Christian, there is a reason for real hope and real joy. Now, I do want to say something about the more normal suffering that we experience here in Britain. Um, if we were I know, if we were in North Korea, then we probably wouldn't talk about coughs and colds and other things. Um, but actually, for me, most of my experience of suffering is not persecution for being a Christian. It's rather the suffering of being in a fallen world, and all the pressure that that creates in our lives the illness, the, the hardship, the thorns, the thistles, the viruses, the volcanoes. Do we rejoice when we suffer in that kind of way? What do you think from what we've read? What do you reckon? It's not specifically talking about that kind of suffering. But I think that the principles apply to saying, we still rejoice in Christ when that kind of suffering reminds us, as Hannah led in the prayers, of that we're actually like the flowers. We're here for such a short time here on planet Earth. And when experience of the suffering of the world reminds us of that, we say oh, thank you, Jesus, you've actually got an answer to this. You've given me a hope that actually goes beyond death and beyond whatever suffering I'm going through right now. That future focus, if I'm ill or unemployed or if there's a disaster, actually does minister to my soul and keeps me going through it. The fact that Christ suffered, the fact that he burst the bounds of death, by his resurrection, he guarantees a new world. There will be a world, it's coming, where there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more dying. And that shines light into even the darkest places, hope from him. And it is here and now, the spirit of glory and God rests on you, in the here and now, ministering this truth, this hope to you. That'll make a difference to your day, won't it? If you're suffering... Christians are often asked, I was asked by Nihal on Five Live just after the Grenfell service why the suffering had happened, why God had asked, allowed the suffering of Grenfell Tower to happen. And sometimes we can feel put on the spot. But do you realise the Christian faith has an answer to the issue of suffering, in the suffering and dying of Jesus Christ to rise again and to bring new life to other people who are suffering and dying. And I want to say the Christian faith has the answer and many people don't. I mean, take the atheism of someone like Richard Dawkins. It's easy to quote from him because he deliberately wants to be heard. His comment is that in a universe of blind physical forces, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. Now, there's a fierce sort of logic and rationality behind that from his assumptions. But what has he got to say to the mother who's just lost a child, or the family that's just received a cancer diagnosis? Unlucky. That's no answer to suffering, not to the deep questions of our souls of why? And what are we going to do about this? Is this it? Is this all there is? Richard Dawkins says, yeah, get used to it. Jesus Christ says, no. This world has fallen from the world, the good world that God made it to be, but Christ has come to restore a new heaven, a new earth, the home of righteousness, and to call us all to be there with him. So we rejoice in him, in him, when we go through the hard times, when we live in the shadow of Grenfell Tower, when we do get that diagnosis. We rejoice in him, that he is the answer to it all. Just before we close this section, there is um, a final form of suffering that's mentioned in verse 15, isn't there? It's neither suffering for being a Christian nor as part of a fallen world, it's suffering for breaking the law. (laughs) You see that? It's totally appropriate. (laughs) It's what sin deserves and of course it's what Jesus suffered and died and took in our place, isn't it? He took the penalty of sin for us but if we suffer for breaking the law and so far it's just been speeding fines for me, um, it serves us jolly well right. Of course we can still pray and find Comfort in Jesus, but we are getting what we deserve, and so gotta take it. Uh, not sort of look for lots of sympathy for it, but rather look for Jesus to change us so that we drive more safely in future. Or what it mentions? What does it mention? Murdering here, uh, thieving. If that's been something we've gone through, or family members are going through, then again, we say you've got to got to do your prison time but you've got to look to Jesus to change you to be the person you can be and should be as you come out again the other side. But let's return to the main theme here. If we suffer because we're following Jesus, the watching world, perhaps members of your own family, will think you're crazy for keeping following Jesus. But God says otherwise. He's close to people as they suffer. And instead of being ashamed or embarrassed or, uh, or giving up, We will rejoice in Jesus even as we suffer. How do we cope with suffering? We expect it. We rejoice in Jesus in the midst of it. And finally, just uh, in verse 19, we commit to the Creator and continue to do good. We keep going through it, in other words. Some quite challenging stuff, isn't there, at the end of this little section. Verse 17 speaks of the fact it's time for judgment to begin with the family of God. The word judgment there doesn't mean condemnation of sin and punishment, going to prison. It's the idea of sorting things out, sorting out a household. Uh, verse 12 actually already talked about that idea of suffering, doing something, refining the fiery ordeal is the idea there of a refining fire, like metal being put into a furnace and separating out the different parts so it purifies the metal. And so this is teaching that suffering refines you and me. It, it, It purifies us, it strengthens us as Christians, like the athlete, again, who goes through the pain barrier in order to be a better athlete. God is going to be using suffering in our lives to refine us, to teach us to love him and live for him whatever our circumstances are, not just when they're good, but also when they're really hard. In a world full of suffering, God doesn't parachute his people out. He rather leads us through and uses that to purify us. Now, that is a really challenging picture of God. It might not be the picture of God you had when you walked into the room this morning. We often focus on how good and kind God is which he is. But here is the focus here the focus is that he's the he's the one who is in charge of everything he's the faithful creator. He's the one who is boss. And so it means that he hasn't lost control when you suffer. Actually that's quite reassuring and comforting. It's not that the devil is in charge at that point and there's some sort of, you know, Um, yin-yan sort of thing going on in your life. No, God's still in charge. He's still the faithful creator who you've come to know already. It's just that sometimes, do you see that phrase in verse 19? Suffering is according to his will. He's knowingly and deliberately leading you through a time of suffering. Whether it's suffering for being a Christian, or suffering in some way because life is full of it, God leads people through the refining fire. People He loves, people who Christ died for, people who spend eternity with Him forever, people who are His family, God leads through that fire to refine us. That's really sobering. But look at the question it begs in verse 17 and 18. What message does it give to people who are still rebelling against God? who refuse to recognise him at all as God. Well, if judgement begins with the people that God is saving, his household, goodness, isn't there a warning for those who are shaking their fist at God, who are saying, I've got no time for you, stay out of my life. There's a very great warning, isn't there? When we meet God in his blazing purity, if we're not forgiven, if we're still defying him then, So I do want to plead, if you're with us this morning and you're not trusting Jesus for the day that you'll meet God face to face in his purity, and his blazing fire, then whatever the cost is for you of following Jesus, whatever the cost, it's nothing in this life compared to having no plan for that day, no plan for your sin, no plan for Jesus bearing God's judgment, rather than the judgment we all deserve being borne by us. And as we close, for all who've come back to him, who are part of his household, this is who it's addressed to, it's addressed to the people who's a, who's a believer, who's following Jesus. How do we approach suffering? Well, we, we expect it, we rejoice in Jesus in the midst of it. And this final thing is we, we commit ourselves, we, we keep going, we commit ourselves to God, our creator, our faithful one. We trust the fact that he's a good coach. Um, Even when the the training regime hurts, then we keep trusting him because he's faithful and we know that we are eternally safe through Jesus Christ. And that means we continue to do good, even when there's pushback against us. We don't wait for our circumstances to change and say, oh, Jesus, I'll, I'll live for you when I've got a different job. And uh, it's just, you know, when I've got different colleagues around me, and because these ones are just so hard to keep living for you, Lord, I'll I'll live for you when I've um, got to the next stage of life, when I'm married or after the kids have left home. Yeah, I'll live for you then, Lord, because I I can just imagine myself doing it. It's about now. It's about living now in these circumstances, even when they're suffering, continuing to do good as we continue to trust in him and rejoice in him. There's been a lot there. Let's pause, let's have a chance personally for prayer.